Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Icarus is a story about, you know, someone who flew too close to the sun and paid the price for it. Is there a story where someone regains their wings after doing that and repeatedly just flies too close to the sun? Because that's what we're doing by recording this before Marco Casper makes his NHL debut against the Toronto Maple Leafs in T-minus one hour from now. I thought you were literally going to what I was just talking about before (laughs) we were recording about uh, Red Wings and collecting meaningless points towards the end of the season. Name a better duo. Oh, man, you know what? Growth is recognizing that it is not the Red Wings' fault, nor is it a bad thing that they won that game against Carolina. If the Carolina Hockey Hurricanes can't win a game where the Red Wings have like a good half dozen, if not more, AHL-level players, that's on them. You know, the goalie you threw away in Alex Nedeljkovic, which like I understand that they, in the end, they were right to to let him go and not pay him. But he beat you by making 31 saves and you let in that goal, that dagger goal, and not you weren't able to put up more than a two spot on Detroit. That's that's every team that Detroit beats on at this juncture. That's on them. This is why I no longer am stressed about tanking. I'm no longer stressed about, oh, they won that game and it screwed them over. What do you expect the players to do? You have Matt Luff on the third line. Like every everything within reason that Steve Eisman and Derek Lalone could be doing, they're doing right now. They're starting every rookie that they have. They're calling everyone all the, the the reinforcements from Sweden. They're calling them reinforcements from college. Like, hey, come play pro hockey. It's really early. And other NHL teams are like, ah, maybe we'll lose to Detroit in overtime today. We should just start phrasing things to make it seem even more ridiculous than it actually is. Like, oh yeah, Red Wings bringing over recently drafted player from noted hockey country, Austria, to help take (laughs) down the mighty Toronto Maple Leafs. Again, you know, we got two shades of the Red Wings. They beat the Hurricanes with that hyped up Jake Wallman goal, and then they got absolutely dummied by the Jets. So it's not completely uh, outside of, of the norm here, but this end of season, it's never a straight tank. Tanking is something that happens on paper, but isn't actually always executed in practice. It's because these guys are in the, in the NHL cause they want to win and they went out there and did it. Shame on you, Carolina. I'll still probably pick them to go far in the playoffs. I don't think we talk enough about how the Carolina hurricanes are slowly becoming the San Jose sharks. I had that thought in my head a while back. And if they don't start making some movement in the playoffs, they're going to get that reputation. Oh, they're, they're getting dangerously close there. And uh, with no Svechnikov this year, do they even get past the Islanders? I hope so. Yeah. Oh, we need them to. But that's why I was in one of our group chats after that Carolina game. I said, Red Wings taking points from Carolina so New Jersey can win the division and take out the Islanders. 4D chess by the Red Wings. <laughs> All right, folks, we have a lot to cover this episode. We have an interview with Daniela Bruce, and we potentially have a splice in uh, we'll be on notice uh, as we watch the Marco Casper debut, and if anything big happens, we'll add something in there. So let's get started. Uh, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, Marco Casper's NHL debut, the world of the NHL prospects, and more. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, like I mentioned, we are going to be uh, recapping Detroit's two most recent games uh, a win against Carolina and the uh, tough loss against the Winnipeg Jets. And by tough, I mean uh, a stupendous loss. Like it was 5 nothing before it was 5-2. Uh, 
Uh, we'll be looking forward to Marco Casper's uh, NHL debut, talking about what recalling him means, especially so soon after he was drafted. And there will be an opportunity. There may be a splice in, depending on how the games the game goes, and uh, there might not be. We might just revisit it on Wednesday. Uh, we'll take a look at what the what the Red Wings have ahead in their schedule before chatting with the Detroit Red Wings and Detroit Tigers' very own Daniela Bruce as she gives us insights from the dressing room, the arena, uh, and her thoughts on the Red Wings this season, the trade deadline afterwards, and uh, the season beyond. Uh, also, we are going to be doing a prospect profile this episode for someone that was uh, mocked by Max Boltman of the Athletic Detroit to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, and we'll see what other NHL news we get to before the end of the episode. Before all that, I have a couple quick notes. First, uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA, Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog later this week for more information. There will be an email coming from the Red Wings for all ticket holders. You sold out all 500 tickets. It's going to be uh, the game and then the post-game episode, the live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast featuring Ken Daniels is going to be at Little Caesars Arena in the beer garden. So information will be in that email. And we just announced recently a special bonus is a co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast hat for all ticket buyers, which is something we were very, very excited to put together for you. Uh, also, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket that was sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is something, the whole reason why we're doing this. Uh, another way you can support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, Thursday, April 13th at 6.15 p.m. is Comedy Night of Hope at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org uh, to get your tickets. Cranks Catering is sponsoring and providing dinner. Uh, for the event, it's a fantastic uh, dinner. It's a great time. You'll laugh a lot and it supports an excellent cause. So go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org for that. Okay, the Detroit Red Wings. One and one since the last episode. Took on the Carolina Hurricanes, who by all rights should have been a routine win for them. But like we talked about at the top of the show, it's that part of the year where weird stuff happens. 3-2. Jake Wallman dagger with four seconds left. That was a hyped up end to that game. Oh yeah. You, those are the moments towards the end of a season like this, that, you know, despite all jokes aside, you need to have some motivation to finish out the season and, and something to carry over to next season. Cause you know, obviously we as fans are getting pretty tired of watching the meaningless late season games and you can imagine the players are probably pretty tired about playing in them. So when you can have a, a mega hyped up moment and let's be honest, a meaningless game for the Red Wings, that really, really goes a long way into keeping some momentum, motivation, sanity, whatever you want to call it into the off season, especially for a key player like Jake Wallman, who just signed as an extension and should be a staple in the Red Wings top pair for the next few years. The Red Wings opened the game uh, with a great goal off the rush from Dominic Kubelik, his 20th of the season. Uh, he really, I mean, it's not a surprise Red Wings fans have been watching him all season, but when he has the open space to, to get that release off, you can understand why he puts up 20 goals. Uh, and then Carolina did, I think, control the play quite a bit that game. Uh, they ended up going up 2-1. Dylan Larkin scored in front on the power play off a great feed by Alex Chason. <laughs> Classic. Right off the faceoff too. Yeah, they went right back at Carolina, and and that was uh that was quite a nice play. It could have been like it really could have been 
a closing out moment if Carolina had that kill because it, it didn't look like Detroit had it in them to come fight back that game. And it was just instantly on that power play where you're like, oh, wow. It's just a, a snap of the fingers and it turns around just like that. It's also so funny because every time we talk about Chase on, some folks get understandably frustrated. They're like, you're dedicating so much airtime to someone who maybe shouldn't even be signed. And it's like, look, you're objectively right, but look what he's doing on this power play. We need to talk about something. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, so Larkin uh, scored that power play goal, 2-2 going to the end of the game. And look, my only request for Jake Wallman next season is shoot more because there is not a guy. Ever since Vlad Nemesnikov left, the Red Wings ha- have kind of lacked that uh, super hyped up, I love to be in hockey town, Selly. And Jake Wallman is just, the whole arena erupts every time he scores. I love when that guy scores. He is hilarious to watch. His I'm him celebration, so good. You need personalities in an NHL locker room, and some are bigger than others. And I I think Jake Wallman's going to play a very prominent role in the Red Wings locker room for a bunch of years to come still. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it it just, again, with Nemesnikov, he was loved because he loved being a Red Wing. It kind of still hurts that he's not here. Uh, Jake Wallman loves being a Red Wing. This is a guy who, this is a guy, every time I say that phrase now, it just sticks out like a sore thumb in my head. But this is a guy who really sees the opportunity after being stuck and buried in the lineup in St. Louis and had some unfortunate injury history. And he bet on himself in Detroit. And, you know, often when it comes with a guy who, you know, does a little bit of peacocking, has a big personality, it comes with a often a bad attitude towards uh, the game and the team where it's like, it's all about me and, you know, me, me, me. It, it should have been given to me earlier, and I've always been this way, but he has, it's come with an equal part of an embrace of the team and his appreciation for the Red Wings, and you can see that in how he celebrates with the team. You saw that with his contract, and yeah, it very much just emanates he's going to be part of this, the solution for this team for, for at least a few years here. Fan favorite in Detroit already, and I think that's only going to grow. So the Red Wings won with four seconds left. Again, shame on you, Carolina. If you couldn't beat this squad... Whether you're team tank or whether you're team I want to see as many wins as possible for the rest of the season, I don't think you can be mad. Like, good on the Red Wings for getting that game done. And then the Jets game happened. And uh, I kept saying 5-2, but it was 6-2. That game was 6-0 before it was uh, 6-2. David Perron had a power play goal and Joe Valeno uh, ended up making it 6-2 at the end of the game. They scored like 21 seconds apart, but that was just... The Red Wings played on a back-to-back with travel, different time zones, tired, icing a roster against a team that was is fighting for their playoff lives. I don't know really what else there is to say about that game. Yeah, you when you fly in, land in a field next to Winnipeg, hop on a bus <laughs> to the arena, <laughs> it takes a lot out of you. So, you know, not that uh, getting pumped 6-2 is ever excusable, but it's, it's a bit of a trek to get to Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, something I, I actually, a play that I want to call out, um, Simon Edvinson. Nate was coming, Nate was coming in on him on the left side. Great stick play to stop the scoring chance. Skated with him, laid the body and delivered a huge hit. Just a simple play. And it's something you hope to see a lot from, you know, a defenseman who's supposed to be really good. But, uh, that's a, that's not an easy customer to defend against like that's a a, one of the best players if not the best player on Carolina on any given night and good for Simon Edmondson he's he's got some uh not warts to his game but he's a rookie still 
and Daniela talked about it too. He has stuff to work on, but for him to display plays like that this early, it bodes well. It makes next season seem really promising. It was good, and for some reason, Michael Rasmussen slipped him a 20 after that play. <laughs> so in Winnipeg, uh, took the warm-ups and sat in the, uh, sat in the box for the night because he was obviously a healthy scratch. Recalled from Rogla in the SHL. We talked about him last episode of maybe he'd be called back to North America, and I wondered if this would be the case, but instead of being recalled to the Grand Rapids Griffins, like Walinder and Mazur were, uh, were Marco Casper brought onto the Red Wings. Recalled from Europe as the season in Rogla ended. Uh, I think the plan is for him to come finish the season with Detroit uh, for however many games he ends up playing. And uh, he'll go back and potentially be available for the world championship, finish his studies, whatever else he has to do in Sweden as he gears up to compete for a Red Wings roster spot next year. So as we record right now, he is about to make his NHL debut. But let's talk about the impact of calling Marco Casper to the Red Wings this early. Uh, not even nine months after he was drafted last summer. And what does this mean for his future immediately and the future of the Red Wings immediately? Well, it gives a really good indication of what the Red Wings think of him because obviously Mazur and Melinder both had phenomenal seasons and neither of them got the call straight to Detroit. Obviously, Casper also had a, a really, really good season. So um, it's not like he was any worse than either of them. But he had the most pro-ready style of almost any player in the draft last year. Not necessarily the ceiling of the guys drafted ahead of him, obviously. But this this says the Red Wings think he's close. Because if he's getting the call over other guys, it's a really good indication of the that they like the progress he's made. That they feel confident he's building off all the reasons they drafted from him. I don't think he's necessarily going to put up a ton of points or be a superstar towards the end of the season, but he's going to get in games. He's going to get a basically a preview of what they expect from him in preseason next year. Hey, you want to be a full-time Red Wing? You're about to get a feeling for what that's going to take. Well, now's a great time to do it because he gets that taste and he knows where the high watermark is. He's coming in and playing against the Leafs. And, yeah. uh, congratulations, you get to play against Ryan O'Reilly. Good luck out there. And yeah, he's centering a lot of Lucas Raymond and Andrew Kopp. So those aren't, you know, tiny minutes. He's not going to be playing eight minutes. They could cycle him out and, and we don't know yeah. how the game plan is going to shake out. And uh, maybe we'll know more in a few moments here, but they're jumping in with him. And further to that point, Evan, something that I was wrong about, and I think you two were both right about, was uh, positionality. I, I, I was like, maybe the Red Wings are going to come in and ease him in on the wing, as is often done with potential centers in the NHL. And this is Steve Eisman and Derek Lalone saying, no. We want Marco Casper to be a solution, a top six center on this team, a solution to a competitive Red Wings team, and they're they're jumping in. Like, that is absolutely diving in headfirst. Not just starting him at center. Like, they could have started him with Valeno and Berggren and stuck him on the third or fourth line. But whatever his minutes end up being, Cobb and Raymond, like, most players would kill for the opportunity to have those line mates and to start at center in their first NHL game. So... I like it. It's a very balls to the wall. Like, yeah, this is our guy and this is what we want him to do. So let's see if he can do it against one of the most talented teams in the NHL. Granted, I think Marner and Giordano, uh, Giordano are out tonight, but still, it's uh, it's one hell of a way to make an NHL debut. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the NHL, kid. Here's Austin Matthews, John Tavares, uh, William Nylander. Oh, and you're playing second line, so you're going to get a good amount of minutes against those guys. Have fun. Uh, the old sink or swim method. And 
Evan, you're right. Like he finds what that high watermark is and he finds what the standard is. And also, you know, it really helps sort of motivate you to where you need to be in the summer or towards the end of the summer once yeah. you're done training for entering training camp. Because yeah. you're like, this is what a playoff team, a con- true contender looks like. This is what it, you need to do to get there. Yeah. And it, it sets the bar right then and there first game in. It's giving, it's the Red Wings giving their their most important prospect who has not seen NHL action the best opportunity possible to succeed come September, October of this year. It's a huge confidence boost for him too. Like, yeah, there's, they're not hiding him. They believe in him uh, and they think he can do it. So it'll be, this will be a really interesting game. And the, let's the, the let's talk about the style of game that he plays. It's been compared to uh, Landis Cog a lot. You know, can be impactful in both ends. Plays a hard nosed game. Not afraid to drive with a net. Not afraid to to punch you in the face. Is responsible defensively. You know, plays all situations. Power play, penalty kill, whatever. Uh, probably his uh, offensive abilities were undersold a little bit. Shades of. Uh, not you know the exact same way, but Mo Sider when he was drafted, he wasn't exactly known for his offensive ceiling, and that's a question that we had as well: is what's the true offensive ceiling of this guy? Because that's what could take him from a uh, middle six center to a, a true bona fide top six center. And uh, he's been impressive, like other Red Wings prospects since they were drafted. He's been impressive day in and day out, and I, like he really has the capacity here and the potential to be a star in the NHL. I think I you know it's early, so so don't. Like Brad said, don't expect him to put up superstar numbers very early in his career. Uh, but I think there's uh, there's a lot more to be unlocked other than just like a two-way grinder. Well, if you're drafting him at eighth overall, you better hope. You're not drafting a third-line center in the... We already got a Michael Rasmussen, all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't need another one. <laughs> it, We're happy for Ras, but... Unironically, exactly. But yeah, the Red Wings... They know, again, we, I talked about a few seconds ago, they got a pro-ready, pro-style centerman. Yeah. Th- that's not new. That was never going to change with Casper. 200-foot player who can be an absolute piss-off to the other team on the ice. The only real true question with him is, was, and is going to continue to be, how much of an offensive threat can he be at the NHL? And I'm not saying that's what he needs to focus on in these next, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight games, whatever it ends up being. What his focus these games needs to be, all right, here is my 200-foot game. What does that look and feel like at this level? Get the fundamentals down. Get the pace down. Get the speed down. And again, so like Evan talked about, going into next season, he has that established. Then he can start tinkering with the peripheries of his game, you know, the the playmaking, the goal scoring, the whatever you want to classify as the peripheries because he's got to get his fundamentals absolutely dialed uh, as much as he possibly can in in this small of a sample size. Well, this again, this is recording before Casper makes his debut, so you're going to hear more about this either in a moment or on Wednesday, next episode. But exciting times for Red Wings fans. Uh, like I said, uh, like we've said many times, it's... You would prefer the end-of-season treat to be playoff contention, but uh, this isn't a bad consolation prize for the Red Wings to be able to see the likes of Edmondson and Casper take the ice in the winged wheel. I was trying to think of the last time, this might be the first time in at least podcast history that it feels like the reinforcements are arriving prior 
like not in training camp. Like they're oh, coming yeah. right now and we get a taste of what those guys have. I don't think we've really experienced that as a podcast yet. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's a really exciting consolation prize given where the Red Wings are at this year. We've, uh, We've talked about the future coming for a long time, but it's always been, this is Detroit, and this is what's happening with the Red Wings, and the future is in this space. Box somewhere yeah. else. <laughs> Very distinct, separate. Maybe one day we'll take one from there and put it in Detroit, but yeah, it genuinely feels like there's a wave of them coming. Yep. Someone compared it to uh, Gandalf cresting the hill at the Battle of the Two Towers. It's very funny you say that, because I started the first movie the other night. For Not, not the first oh, time. Oh, I was going to say. Just because I love it. Yeah. I'm afraid to ask this question. Okay. Brad, have you seen them? You don't need to ask. You know the answer. Are you serious? No, you just need to say it on record. I need you to say this on record. Oh, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen that would offend a lot of people listening. Oh, God. Your bullies failed us. I want you to know they didn't bully you hard enough I just, in school. Just for reference, you're right. But also <laughs> for reference that when I was in high school, the people who were really into the Lord of the Rings were the ones getting bullied. That's fair. The, yeah. the times have changed. I'm, I'm old. Can't associate with them. <laughs> yeah. I'm old enough to have seen the dynamic change. So that's I have fair. been at yeah, both yeah, ends of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, that's a fair point. Well, uh, anytime Brad makes a good point is a, a good time for us to stop talking. Let's jump to uh, our interview with Daniela Bruce uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, I caught up with her earlier this afternoon, and she gave us a ton of fantastic insights. So uh, stay tuned and enjoy this conversation with Daniela Bruce. Well, Daniela, we were uh, talking before the show that this is about the toughest part of the year, especially during the rebuild. It does help that it's a beautiful sunny day and our dogs are... Uh, chomping at the bit to get us outside. So I appreciate you taking some time for us to join us. Folks, welcome uh, Daniela Bruce back to the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. And yes, after some of the rain that we've been experiencing, seeing the sunshine is definitely helpful. Yes. Yeah. Charlie and Abby both need yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Daniela, it's been a little while and uh, it's been a, a, a topsy-turvy kind of well, whole year for the Red Wings, but especially from February to now, it's like two different seasons of hockey. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, the position this team is in now uh, compared to before. Uh, just give us your general thoughts on how kind of everything has shaken out and where the team is at. Well, it really started with the deadline, right? I think there was some excitement around this team all season long. And then when the deadline hit, the Red Wings were clearly sellers. And Steve Eiserman made it very clear that he didn't think this team was a contender quite yet. And that takes a little wind out of your sails, right? Whether you're a fan, you're a player, you're a coach, it takes a little wind out of your sails. And I think that's what we saw with the Red Wings. And Derek Lalone actually talked about this the other day after practice, or maybe it was after a game. But when he was talking to the media, he said that he finally feels like his team was able to, we have our 12, like we have our 12 now and we're able to build that chemistry. We're able to get a little something going. Whereas just after the deadline, it was almost trying to figure out how you continue without some of those key pieces that were in your lineup. And not only the deadline, the Red Wings have so many injuries right now. Michael Rasmussen out of the lineup. Looks like Philip Zadina is going to be done for the year. Robbie Fabry officially out for the rest of the season. So there's some key players that are out of the lineup because of injury too, which just makes things a little bit more difficult to find that cohesion, to find the chemistry that you need to be successful in the NHL, especially at this time of year when the Red Wings schedule hasn't helped them very much. It's not a friendly schedule. They're playing against teams that are either already clinched in a playoff spot or battling for positioning in the playoffs. So they're playing in playoff atmosphere type games with a lineup 
that probably isn't the best that they probably didn't expect to have at this point in the season. So credit where credit's due. They've been able to kind of get themselves out of that funk that they went into, but that was definitely, it it affected them. And it was obvious from the product that was being put out on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. And I I often say that I think your best position to get, uh, the kind of best pulse of what the, the atmosphere in the arena is like with the fans, you're very connected and with the team in the room. So let's zero in on the uh, trade deadline moments. Obviously the Philip Hronick trade was uh, a shock and I'm sure it wasn't, you know, really well received by his friends in the room, but the Tyler Bertuzzi trade really seemed like a dagger. We all know the moment of Dylan Larkin uh, kind of uh, breaking down a little bit in his, his presser really that was supposed to be for his contract. Can you give us some insight into how, what the room was like and, and what the atmosphere among, you know, the Red Wings fandom was like right after those trades kind of came through? Well, remember, we saw raw emotion there from Dylan. He didn't find out long before he was scheduled to address the media based on his eight-year contract extension. So he was dealing with processing all of that like anybody else would, you know, right when he had to face all of us. So of course he was upset. Tyler Bertuzzi is his friend. Their fiancés are friends. And eventually all their families will be friends. So it's always tough from that perspective. And the room felt that, number one, I think everybody loved Tyler Bertuzzi. Everything you've ever heard about him was that not only the type of player that he was on the ice that everybody loved that the Red Wings really don't have now – is that he was he was the energy guy. He brought all the energy to the room, to the plane rides, to all of that. So they're going to miss him from that aspect. And of course, that, that was shown. But I think I mentioned it with my last answer. They've come out of that. And the vibes in the locker room have been so much better. The guys know that they have a lot to play for. And they can see the bright future of this team just like we can. Obviously, in the moment, it's tough. But they know that this is going to play out to, to be for the best. And Steve Eiserman knows what he's doing. He knows how to build a team. And the veteran leadership in that room is going to help the younger guys get through that too. But they've definitely been able to climb out of the little funk that they were in. Well, let's talk about the young guys because uh, it's been a nice actually bonus for the end of the season. Uh, unfortunately, due to all the injury kind of coming in on defense, that's what opened it up. But we have seen Simon Edvinson come through and the team is very strategically playing him for what looks to be no more than nine games. Uh, so he they slide his ELC one more year. But Simon Edvinson has jumped into the lineup and uh, he's made an impression. Uh, so how has that transition been uh, for him and what are you seeing from the big man so far? Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but the word on Woodward with Simon Edvinson just came out yesterday, and I was so excited to talk to him just because I want to get a feel of how he felt he was adjusting to the NHL level, and he admits it, He just like most players that come over from Europe or that he was playing in the SHL, it's the smaller ice surface that gets you, and he has to learn how to play quicker, make quick decisions. He said something interesting in the interview. He said one of the best pieces of advice that he's been given is that sometimes making the simplest play becomes the hardest thing to do. And that's what you have to learn as a young defenseman, especially going to the NHL level. And he said Grand Rapids has helped him a lot with learning how to play physically, learning how to play with less time. But obviously we're seeing some of the the learning curves and the growing pains that we're going to get from a young defenseman. He specifically mentioned a couple silly penalties that he took and maybe they weren't that bad, but in his mind, he was upset with himself. He mentioned after he scored his first NHL goal, the only thing he could think about was taking those penalties and the fact that they lost the game. So it wasn't a super sweet moment for him, but he 
he was happy after the fact, but you can tell that he's super competitive and he wants to get better every single time he takes the ice, every single time he practices with the team. He mentions that he's taken it all in, talking to Ben Sherrod a lot. So it seems like Ben has been a nice mentor for him. And obviously Ben was out of the lineup for a little while. He got to sit and watch some of the games with Simon. So that's super helpful. And he said he's also watching Dylan Larkin and just learning how to be a professional hockey player every day. But he feels like he's progressing in the right direction. And I think we can all see that too. This isn't a dig at you, Daniela, because it would apply. It would apply for me too. But I think we should invest in some step stools because the blue line is only getting taller. Did you <laughs> if you watch this interview? It's me and Art and Simon, and I'm like, I look like I'm so tiny. I'm not that small. People always end up asking me how tall I am. I'm like, I'm not big, but I, I'm five four, five five. When I have heels on, five six. That's pretty average. But he makes me look so tiny. Yeah. And then Soderblom will be back in the lineup and Willinder will be in there eventually. Yeah. Maybe just so, like we get a video up high and then a monitor right in front of your face. Exactly. Just to, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the height, uh, this is something that we've talked about for a while, which is Steve Eisman has more or less a vision. He said before that he likes the, the kind of big, tough defenders uh, to play against. We know that model from Tampa Bay. We have Edvinson now. We have Sider. We have Willinder coming. Do you see the shape of this blue line kind of coming to fruition slowly but surely with uh, with the size but still kind of athleticism that they all demonstrate? Oh, I would say so. And I mean, I think Mo Sider definitely is the, the biggest example of that right now. The style that he plays is the style that Steve Eiserman likes to develop. When you look at a guy like Victor Hedman in Tampa Bay, that's the kind of style of defenseman we're going to see. But I think it really is starting to shape up. And I know Albert Johansson doesn't quite have the size that these guys do, but he's another one that's going to get a look on our blue line probably next season. If he wasn't injured, it could have been this year. But I think next year for sure we'll get to see what he has. He's been super impressive in Grand Rapids this season. So, yeah, you really see that young core and how it's going to look a few years from now. And hopefully that's when the Red Wings are making their deep playoff run and we're having different conversations at this point in the season. Yeah, fingers crossed that that we have to wait a little bit longer before things seem uh, down. You mentioned the blue line and Johansson potentially getting a look, and I think that's really interesting because the Red Wings blue line, you know, a couple of years ago was was bleak, but it, it's slowly getting better, and I think this year did kind of take a step. With Johansson hoping to make a push. And I think he could be pretty competitive. With Edvinson, I mean, he should make it all things going well. What do you see shaking out? Because the Red Wings are starting to see a little bit of a logjam. Well, Linder just kind of came over. How, how do you see this taking shape for next season? Well, well, Linder, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him spend some time in Grand Rapids next year, at least start the season in Grand Rapids. That would only make sense. And obviously now that Jake Wallman and Olimata were signed to extensions, we're expecting that they're going to be a part of this blue line too. Ben Sherrod is on for three more years after this one. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out, but you need some of that veteran presence. So I doubt that we're going to see the veterans kind of either traded or I, I just, I, hmm, how do I word this? I guess what I'm saying is that Steve Eiserman is going to want that veteran presence there to kind of mentor the young guys. So you don't want to count out the Olimatas. You don't want to count out the Jake Wallmans, even the Jordan Osterleys of the world. Obviously, Ben Sherratt signed to a deal, and you can maybe consider Mo Sider a veteran by next year. I don't know, a, a young veteran. We'll call him a young veteran for the next season. But it's going to be interesting how it all shakes out, especially if you've got Simon Edvinson and Albert Johansson fighting for spots, and then whatever Wallander does. But I, I kind of think he he might be pegged for more of a start in Grand Rapids and see how that develops. 
It's going to be interesting, though. We had the same conversation heading into this current season, how things were going to shake out with the forward core. And obviously, that's going to look a little different next year, too. But I'd be prepared for some offseason moves as well. So what we're talking about right now could be totally different after free agency or after the draft, however everything pans out. And then one more note on young guys. I think uh, with the ELCs being signed and people coming over for their their Grand Rapids amateur tryout, uh, then everything kind of panned towards Marco Casper, who already had his ELC, and we thought, is he going to have the same kind of thing with Grand Rapids? And again, a fun little bonus for fans, he gets called up to the Red Wings, and if I'm guessing right, and by the time people hear this, they'll already know, Marco Casper will probably make his NHL debut tonight against Toronto. Uh, so what? how impactful is that for the Red Wings lineup to kind of get to see Marco Casper a little bit early, and uh, do you have any kind of read on what it's been like for him as he's he's joined the team as of uh, uh, earlier this weekend? As you mentioned, I don't have any confirmation yet that we're going to see him on Sunday night, but it's going to be sometime this season, I'd imagine. If he's in Detroit, they're going to want to get him in the lineup at some point. And whenever that is, I think it's excellent. It's something to be excited about as fans, right? It's something for the organization to be excited about. And it's a little bit of a measuring stick for Marco Casper. Where exactly is he at? Now, I don't want people to have too high of expectations for a kid that's going to be coming over from the SHL, playing a great season over there. And we just talked about how Simon Edvinson had to make that adjustment to the smaller ice surface and the faster game, there's going to be an adjustment period for Marco Casper too. So don't expect him to just get into the lineup and start lighting it up. That's not to say he couldn't. We'll have to see how it goes. But I think it is a good measuring stick for not only management, but all of us to see where his game is at and give us a little bit more insight as to where maybe he'll start the season next year or the type of work that he's going to have to put in this summer if he does want to crack the Red Wings roster in the fall. Thank Ken Cal for this, but uh, as we were talking, Danielle, oh, no. he confirmed that Marco Casper will be uh, making the debut, his NHL Go debut. Ken. Go yeah. Ken. Well, that's amazing. And I think that, like I said, it's exciting for fans because we've got to be excited about the end of this season and where the team is headed. And we're going to get to see a nice measuring stick of where he's at. And I think that that's great for all of us. Did Ken say where he's slotting in? Did he tell us who, who he's paired with? <laughs> yeah, he's actually going to be centering Cop and Raymond. So that's okay. uh, one hell of a line. Yeah. Yeah. That Hey, that that's a future right there. That's really exciting. Everybody yeah. should be excited to see it. Against Toronto too. That's a big task. That's a big first game for Marco. Yeah, they're throwing him right into the mix. <laughs> so I know, Danielle, we were joking a lot about how uh, things are a little bit somber right now and we're already looking over to Comerica Park for, for the spring. But uh, this was a, a special year for Detroit in the rebuild because you really, it doesn't matter how things ended up, you really could see the substance behind them turning the corner. They've kept things extremely competitive. Despite the roster that they were icing, they were in the mix for a playoff spot up until the trade deadline. What was that? What do you make of that? Was that a flash in the pan or is that a sign that next year they could make another significant step moving forward? Where do you see this team kind of shaking out? I think it was a definite sign that this team improved and that everybody should be excited for the steps they're going to take next season as well. And like we just talked about, Steve Eiserman said it. Could this team have gotten into the playoffs, maybe snuck into that last spot? Yeah, but were they going to make a deep run this year? Probably not. But the one thing you did see is the improvement on defense. And the numbers from this year aren't significantly better from last year, but they are better. And I know you don't have any fancy stats for the eye test and it might sound cheesy, but anybody who's watched this team all season long can tell that there's there's something more there. They've gotten more talent added to their lineup, which obviously that helps too. But the system, they're all buying in to what Coach Lalone is preaching. And I think Lalone even said it. He's he's really happy with the steps that this team has taken this season. And he said no matter what happens these last eight games, however many they have left, 
this team took steps forward. And I loved his quote about starting on the 50 yard line for next season. He said, you know, we're there. We're, we're starting much better. We're in a much better position next season than we were this year to start it. And we saw the good that this team brings. We saw when they were at their best, what they could do, who they could compete with, the teams that they were keeping up with. It was all really good stuff. They just need to add a few more pieces and everything's going to be great next year. I, I think this was all real. I think this the step we saw today, it wasn't a false positive. It wasn't anything like that. We can really look forward to what this team is going to bring next season. And we should be expecting the playoffs sometime soon. I think that's fair. And I think Steve Eisenman wants that too. I think everybody in the organization wants to see this team back in the playoffs. Yeah, the the buzz around the team and the buzz in the arena when they were genuinely in, like, by merit, a playoff spot, it was like, I, I'm as uh, as big of a, okay, let's be reasonable where the team is at, get a good pick kind of person as there is. And once you felt that, it just, it all washed away and you were like, no, hell yeah, pedal to the metal, let's, let's just get in the playoffs, this is a blast. So I completely understand it. It changes things up and the, the feeling around the team is different despite the numbers on the, the standings looking similar right now. Yeah, I also would add this too. Shout out to the fans because last game at Little Caesars Arena was unbelievable. The crowd was so into it. Obviously, Jake Wallman scores a buzzer beater goal and it was it was incredible. It was such a fun game to be a part of and the fans just getting up for their team. Carolina is a really good team that came into the building and it was packed. It was absolutely packed knowing where the Red Wings are in the standings and what's going to happen this year everybody's still showing up. They're bringing all the energy. And I think that's a really good sign that people are excited about this team and the direction that they're headed in. You mentioned a few things that coach Derek Lalonde said, and uh, I think he's had a really kind of interesting task this year coming in with a new group. He's a new coach, new systems, and he's asked the team to play a system that isn't, you know, as Dylan Larkin has quoted once the most fun to play all the time, but it's effective and it can be effective as long as everyone buys in. From your point of view, where is the team at now compared to when he first kind of came in in terms of deploying those systems? And do you see a kind of buy-in that hasn't been around in the Red Wings locker room for a while? I would say yes. And here's the example for you. We just talked about it, the fact that this team basically had to revamp after the trade deadline, after players went down with injury. They had to figure out how to buy in all over again with almost a completely new lineup. And that's not easy to do at this point in the season. Obviously, the guys in Grand Rapids are familiar with the systems. They're learning similar things there, but they had to get to Detroit. They had to build that chemistry and they had to buy into everything Derek Lalone was saying too. And So my answer is yes. I think the buy-in is way different than anything we've seen in the past couple of seasons because of the fact that these guys did it again. The veterans that were there, the guys that have been there all season long, like the Dylan Larkins, the Andrew Kopp, Ben Sherratt, David Perron, those guys are buying in. And then when the young guys come up or the guys that aren't always in the lineup are getting the call to Detroit, they're ready to buy into. So it starts with the leadership in the room. Obviously, Derek Lalone is preaching something that everybody wants to buy into. And the veterans are able to bring that to the younger team. And I think we've seen it happen multiple times this season. When the lineup changes, it does take a few games. We might have saw some bad games through that process. But eventually, we see what this team can do. And I just used the Carolina game as an example. And I think I can use that one again. They're playing some solid hockey games. And there haven't been many games where you thought, oh, my goodness, this one's gone off the rails, except maybe the one in Winnipeg on the back-to-back just recently. But I think I've been impressed with the way that this team has been able to bounce back from everything. And that starts with the buy into the system and starting with getting better every single game and buying into that system. 
Well, there's going to be a lot to cover in the offseason. We're going to see how the draft shakes out, and we're also going to see uh, how free agency, free agency shakes out. So I won't hold you to any predictions quite yet, but I do want uh, you to tell us your your coverage. You do amazing coverage with the Red Wings as well, but you also have a Tigers side, uh, which is coming out right now. So tell us a little bit about that and where people can find you all spring. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Not going to lie, a little nervous. Baseball's a different animal, but I'm so excited to be able to cover this Tigers team too because they're in a similar situation of trying to get out of that rebuild and take the next steps. They've got a lot of young talent, some new guys coming in via trades. So I'm really pumped about it. I am now the broadcast reporter. I'll be alongside Dan Dickerson and Jim Price for Tigers home games. So I'll be doing pre and post with hopefully some contributing in-game reports as well. So you can find me on 97.1 The Ticket, pre-game, post-game, and all of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll still be doing some digital stuff for them too. So we'll we'll have uh, some shows for you, content on Tiger Social as the season goes on as well. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a blast. And I, I hope I'm around when both of these teams are making big playoff runs too. Well, we hope so, too. Uh, Folks, this has been Daniela Bruce, broadcast reporter with the Red Wings and the Tigers. Uh, Follow her on Twitter at Daniela Bruce underscore. Daniela, thank you so much, and we can't wait to do this again. Thank you. It's always fun. All right. Welcome back. Unfortunately, you are back to just myself, Brad and Evan, but that was a great conversation with Daniela, and we're looking forward to catching up with her more uh, in the offseason to to game plan and, and get her insights on What's to come for the Red Wings, but uh, always, always a great conversation with her and really, really insightful. Uh, I mean it when I say I think she's one of the best positioned people in in the hockey world to understand not just the pulse of the fan base, but what's happening in the dressing room. So good to get her lens. Okay, let's talk about our prospects. The 2023 NHL draft is growing ever nearer, and uh, we are continuing our NHL draft prospect profile series. So our prospect today uh, was inspired by Max Beltman of The Athletic Detroit, good friend of the show. Uh, He recently did uh, a mock draft, which, you know, we love when Max does those. It gives us uh, really good insight into how things might might shake out. And he projected to Detroit at a hypothetical ninth overall, Ryan Leonard, right wing out of the US NTDP, uh, which is an interesting uh, prospect to talk about. And that's who we'll go with today. So we'll link the episode or we'll link the article in the description of this episode, but Who is Ryan Leonard as a prospect and what kind of fit do you think he could have with the Red Wings? You know how often we've talked about a Steve Eiserman type and Steve Eiserman has a few key traits and attributes, et cetera, et cetera, that he looks for in a prospect. Let me tell you about Ryan Leonard. Yeah. Check, 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 and add a couple more because the things we often reference in terms of a quote unquote Eiserman type, got to be a good skater. Check. Got to have at least good enough skill for his position. Check. And has to be the guy who's running, willing to run through a brick wall for his team. Big check mark. R- Ryan Leonard is that guy. He's he's not like a burner where he's going to be, you know, winning 200-foot races constantly, but he's a good skater. He's probably an above-average skater. Um, really strong on his edges, which is not something we use a lot because despite the fact that he is just almost six feet tall. He is really hard to knock off the puck. So even when he gets good speed moving, when he engages in that first contact, he is, it's not an automatic play shutdown. Um, Good hands, really, really good hands, heavy shot. All the offensive attributes you want are there. And again, it can't be understated enough. This guy will run through a wall to score a goal. This guy will run through a wall to make a play. He can, Absolutely. I, I forget who it was, Scott or Corey, um, reading just before, said 
this is the type of guy that drags his team into the fight. Yeah, I, I think that was uh, Scott. I really like that. Yeah, that that was that. That's why Scott writes and I talk because he's way better at that than you know <laughs> we are. But that was or when I read that, I'm like, yes, that is perfect. That is a phenomenal way to describe uh, the way Ryan Leonard plays, and obviously given. The state of the Red Wings forward group, we, we've talked about other guys the Red Wings need to look long and hard at because they fit so well. He is in that mix because you want that abrasiveness up front that the Red Wings don't really have right now. Yeah, he has that. You need that guy with the shot that the Red Wings don't really have right now. Yeah, he could be that guy. And you need someone who can just find ways to shovel a puck into the net. He can be that guy. Uh, you know, we've talked about centers and defense getting a heavy premium in the top 10 and obviously he's a winger which is a bit of a drawback but given again the overall state of the Red Wings offense on the team and in this context more importantly in the system he fig fills arguably two of their biggest needs with the with the Red Wings losing Tyler Bertuzzi everyone's eyes turn to Carter Mazur and I think very fairly ours included to say, is he going to replace him as that guy who can play up and down the lineup on the wing, be a pest, uh, punch you in the face, but also contribute offensively, just grind like hell. And I, that's, I think, what you want Carter Mazur to be. Certainly when he was drafted and he was uh, compared to, because of his, uh, his fandom, uh, Darren Helm, it wasn't, we didn't think that Carter Mazur would uh, likely reach the heights that he is, could do right now. And, and he's, kind of blown expectations out of the water so far and that's great but the Red Wings also have lost a Tyler Bertuzzi type and you look at that small window of time where the Red Wings looked absolutely deflated after the trade deadline you can see the impact that had on the team and also look at how much Tyler Bertuzzi was coveted across the league this is a guy coming off uh, some pretty tough injuries and his long-term future uh, was uh, you know in question in terms of does he deserve a seven or eight year contract which is what he wanted which is why ultimately him and Detroit didn't agree to one uh, and t- uh, Boston paid out the nose for him. You can't have too many of these players. So when when Max mocked Leonard to Detroit, I, I really thought about it. And for all the reasons you said, Brad, I was like, yeah, I could see this being a fit. This fits the kind of team or the kind of player that Steve Eisman will want in his lineup if this is a team that's going to make the playoffs. And I don't want to limit him and say like he's just a grinder. Like you mentioned, he can do really impressive things with the puck and his shot's really good. I think this is uh, someone, if you're comparing to, obviously, you know, he's potentially a top 10 player in this draft or top 15-ish, then his skills at a baseline, you're expecting something even higher than what Mazer uh, is right now, especially compared to when, when Mazer was drafted, if that makes sense. So I I don't love player comparisons because I think it just puts people in in boxes that aren't necessarily too accurate and hockey players are complicated. But yeah, if you're looking for more Tyler Bertuzzi impacts on the team, Ryan Leonard fits that. And uh, I, I really like the kind of balls-to-the-wall plays game he plays. Well, imagine if Tyler Bertuzzi could skate. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a big difference, right? Yeah, like, Tyler Bertuzzi was arguably the worst skater on the Detroit Red Wings. Ryan Leonard is... But he, he played his way around that. No, yeah, he did, but... Yeah, Ryan Leonard would be one of the strongest skaters in the rings. Now, keep in mind, the Detroit Red Wings as a whole, they're a very poor skating team. So keep that in the back of the mind. And one of the reasons that I always look at the big picture when talking about draft prospects, because I know, and, and you know, you've talked about how we've matured as a podcast. This is probably where I've been guilty of in the past not doing. 
is just saying best player, best player, best player, not really taking into account what the team is building to. And you have to look to Tampa Bay to get a good idea of what Steve Ivins is looking for. And we talked about speed, skill, piss you off in your face attitude. Look at Tampa, Kucherov, supremely talented, just a prick. Braden Point, super talented, just an absolute nightmare to play against. Alex Kalorn, Victor Hedman, they all have that snarl to them and, and go down. You start looking at what they're doing in Detroit. Larkin as a captain, he's in every scrum. Look at what Marco Casper did in the SHL this year. He can piss people off. Carter Mazur is in that same mold. So if you start looking in the Red Wings top six of a Larkin, a Casper, a Mazur, a guy like Ryan Leonard, and, and you know obviously there's more examples of that throughout the organization, you could see the Red Wings making this pick because he fits the big picture need. You know We thought they might take Matt Savoy last year. They passed him up for a guy like Marco Casper. And that's happened, you know, a few times now. So, yeah, I, I think this is one guy, as we get closer to the draft, we're probably going to have to do more deep dives on because of just how well he fits the current Red Wings archetype. I like him a lot because he can play around players by getting around them with his speed. He can play through traffic, and he is not afraid to take the puck into traffic to generate offense. Um but he's also really good at like finding the soft spots in the offensive zone and just like shifting away and being completely wide open. Like he can find space and take space every single way. And it's, it's pretty impressive for someone his age to be able to do that. Um, and he can also do that to other people, you know, guys get the, the puck along the wall. They think they have more time and he's right there and he blows them up. So he plays a very impressive game for someone his age, um, and I can see why he's sort of rocketed up the draft boards uh, as the season has progressed. Now, one thing that I would say is, despite how much I, I like Leonard's game, he is a winger, and I would love for Detroit to be able to walk away with a center here. That said, I'm not sure that all the centers are necessarily you know, viable options for what the, either the Red Wings need or maybe their ceilings are a little bit more limited. So with that in mind, uh, the question I have is what's what's a center that you take over Leonard if he was available there? Does Danielson come in above Leonard for you right now? Does Jaeger, does Dvorsky, those are the guys kind of in and around that range early on. Uh, the three you mentioned, probably not. Um, if Will Smith slips, obviously, yep. if Oliver Moore is in that area, you probably take a really long, hard look at him over, uh, Ryan Leonard, but of anybody who's reasonably expected to be there, no, there's not a whole lot. Cause again, centers and defense come into premium. Obviously it's a need, but right now the Red Wings can't score and they, other than Mazer and Casper, they have nobody coming through the system who is going to be answering that. So I'm not upset if the Red Wings draft a defenseman or, or whatever here, but my heavy preference would be simply with pick, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, wherever they're picking, grab someone who can score. That's all I ask. Well, that is Ryan Leonard, uh, a winger, but one that could be of interest to Detroit for one of their two picks, likely are the first one, but we'll see how the, the draft lottery in the Islanders uh, standing shakes out. Uh, the Red Wings upcoming, they have six, four, seven games to end the season. 
tonight against Toronto, which will have already happened by the time you listen. Tuesday against Montreal. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. Then they have Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Dallas at home to close out their uh, LCA campaign, and then Carolina and Tampa Bay on the road to close out the season. A quick look at the standings. Uh, In league standings right now, Detroit's recent somewhat success has has their points percentage in a field with Vancouver, Washington, and St. Louis, where they're all at 500 points percentage. Detroit does have games in hand on Washington and St. Louis, uh, but overall, uh, Chicago, Columbus, Anaheim, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philly, Vancouver, Detroit. So Detroit is sitting at ninth in terms of lottery odds right now. So they're going to be in the mix. It could be as far back as, you know, 12th, 11th, 12th, in and around there. If Detroit keeps winning, they could drop further. Maybe they will uh, get passed by Philadelphia. But it's all kind of up for grabs in terms of who's going to be the biggest loser and have not just the biggest opportunity to grab Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Michkov, or whatever, uh, but also, you know, you heard Brad talk about Will Smith, Oliver Moore. You're positioning yourself to grab one of those guys. You don't have to worry about is one of these premium centers going to slip. It's you, you have the option to take them or a Reinbacher or something at right hand D or whatever you need. Uh, that's why people are focusing on these draft positions right now. The Bedard stuff is just kind of the cherry on top. Uh, recently sealed, Toronto and Tampa Bay guaranteed once again in the first round. Shocker. It's been the most likeliest, likely story all year. More likely than Connor McDavid scoring a trillion points is Toronto and Tampa Bay destined to play each other in the first round. It's just the, the, the fact of the matter when the playoff uh, setup is how it is. Am I wrong to say this is Toronto's best opportunity to finally uh, beat their demons and get out of the first round? Remember when they had uh, the COVID season where they got the husk of the Montreal Canadiens in the first round? Yes. And then that Montreal Canadiens team ended up in the final and Toronto didn't. I remember. That season doesn't really count. It's such a weird year. It was like, it's like the, the gas leak season in community. Like it's such a fever dream, everything that happened. Uh, but look, all I'm saying is based on how worn out Tampa Bay should, should theoretically be and how they've lost a little bit of the talent that they've had that, or I shouldn't say talent, maybe the depth, although they've added uh, in recent weeks or recent months. This is the the least powerful version of the Tampa Bay Lightning that Toronto will have ever faced. And it's still, like, you're not going to find a Leafs fan anywhere that isn't, their teeth aren't going to be chattering thinking about this first-round series. It's incredibly tough. But as a neutral observer, it is going to be entertaining as hell. In the Metro, as it's positioned right now, New Jersey and uh, New York as in the Rangers, are going to be playing in the first round with Carolina taking the division. Uh, But New Jersey's challenging. They could take Carolina's spot, and then all of a sudden you're going to have Carolina Rangers. That would be one hell of a matchup too. The hockey fan in me really wants a New Jersey-New York first-round matchup because A, good hockey, and B, that rivalry, if anybody forgets that rivalry from the 90s, needs to come back because it will be violent. Uh but the Red Wings fan in me really, really wants the Islanders to end up with the Devils instead of the Hurricanes because I like the Devils' chances against the Islanders better. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, you know, there's no, it's a win-lose either way. Uh, and in the West, Edmonton, 9-0-1 in their last 10. They're currently second in the Pacific, uh, one point clear of LA, but LA has a game in hand. They could take the division still from Vegas. 
So Edmonton, who at one point was so low down in the standings, we were talking about what's going to happen to Connor McDavid in his future in Edmonton if they keep screwing up like this, to they have really resurged. That Ekholm deal just seems to be a masterstroke by Ken Holland. Credit to him for for that trade. And uh, they are are making some noise as uh, potentially the leading candidate to come out of the West, and, and I'm including Colorado in that. I mean, they have 250 goal scorers. 200 point scores with a third looking very likely because I think Nugent Hopkins is only four ish points away from 100, which I don't even know the last time a single team had 300 point scores in a season. That is, Nuge is at 97 points. And then he 97, has seven, my God. So looking at just the, the players who come up at the top of the NHL stats sheet McDavid, obviously, Dreisaitl, Kucherov, Kachuk, Pasternak, McKinnon, Robertson. Nugent Hopkins, Pedersen, Marner. None of those players are surprising except for Nuge. Not in terms of talent. Like, he, he's absolutely that guy. But in terms of quietest 100-point scores, he has to be up there in terms of one of the quietest that you've remembered. Imagine, it, it's Bernie Nichols syndrome. You ever heard the fun Bernie Nichols stat? What's that? He's only uh, one of only five players in NHL history to score 150 points in a season. The season he did it, he finished fourth. <laughs> So, so Nuge is going to be talking post-career about his 100-point season in which he finished third on his team in scoring that year. Well, look at Connor McDavid in the season he's having. He already has 146 points. That is absurd. N- Nuge is going to finish with 100 points and be third, not even be first place on his team by 50 points. That's insane. <laughs> I hate to like make this doom and gloom, but when people talk about you know, this player or that player on the Red Wings are my favorite team that's not that good being a point-per-game player. A point-per-game doesn't mean the same in this season of the NHL as, as it would have, you know, 10 years ago. Scoring is higher now than it has been since the 90s, right? Like the early to mid-90s, I think. Well, do the Red Wings even have a player in the top 40 or 50 of scoring right now? They, like, it's one that, you like, if you they look They have at, Larkin's 34. 34. So think of how good of a season Larkin's having offensively. I think everybody in this room and everybody listening can go, yeah, Larkin's had a great season. Yeah. There's 32 teams in the league. He's 34th, if you want a reference of what our Red Wings colored glasses (laughs) are doing to us right now. One last thing on Connor McDavid here. 84 assists, obviously insane. 62 goals. We talk a lot about Matthews potentially going down as the greatest goal scorer of his generation, and, and I think he could. Uh, Connor McDavid just decided to score 60 goals this year. He heard, he heard y'all talking about Matthews being the greatest goal scorer in this generation last season. And he went, nah. Yeah. He has 62 goals with five games left. I know it's insane, but I'm not sure that he doesn't get eight goals in his last five. Oh, we, we absolutely can, can't rule it out. Like the only way I can definitely rule it out is if Edmonton decides to rest him for a couple games. Maybe, man. And even then, like, if they rest him for two games, are we ruling out three hat-tricks? Because I'm not. <laughs> we are witnessing the most talented player the NHL has ever seen, and in a way that has never been done before. Like, I, I, I don't want to compare. It's not a perfect comparison, but, you know, think about what Otani is doing with the uh, yeah, Angels. Yeah, definitely not the, the same <laughs> at all. But continue. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. Um but genuinely, like you watch Otani and you're like, we've not seen this before. And then you watch McDavid and the way he plays, and it's like, 
We've not seen this before. And I'm not doing era era adjusted comparisons here. I still think Gretzky is the greatest of all time. But in terms of sheer raw talent that we've seen, McDavid is uh, – he's on a different planet, man. Again, like if you ever are staying up watching Edmonton game, this guy is an absolute treat to watch. All right. Well, uh, I'm excited to see how the playoff picture shakes out. Uh, I'm sad that the Red Wings won't be in the mix, but uh, it's always the best time of year. Playoff season, once it kicks off, is, uh, I think, the best uh, spectacle in sports. For now, let's jump into Overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon uh, supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to uh, join the so-called Dub Dub Club uh, and support the Winged Wheel Podcast, everything that we do, Winged Wheel Podcast Night slash Day at the LCA, our support for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, trying to improve the show, doing our best and ultimately faili- failing. All of that is supported by our uh, incredible patrons. Uh, so if you do do it, you get some uh, hopefully really good benefits as well. You get access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these ones. You get access to the uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Discord, which is a fantastic community. And you get entered into all of our giveaways. We've given away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The vast majority of them going directly to our Patreon supporters. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons. Frank the Tank says, hey guys, which Canadian team has more pressure to make a deep playoff run, the Leafs or the Oilers? And speaking of playoffs of the four major Detroit sports teams, Wings, Tigers, Lions, and Pistons, which makes the playoffs first? All right. uh, It's the first question. The answer is the Leafs. And the answer will always be the Leafs until they finally do the thing. And between the Tigers, Pistons, I'm going to go with the Lions. I, oh, that felt I icky. can't believe that is being said, but I think it's the Lions. The Lions are best positioned to be, they could win their division. I think the Red Wings could, could almost it. argue they should. If Rodgers does end up going to the Jets... They probably should. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I agree. It's the Leafs. I think if you remove like emotion from it, maybe the Oilers just based on the fact that they have McDavid and Dreisaitl, but emotion. They've only had them for six years or whatever. Yeah. The Leafs haven't won a playoff round in a lot longer than that. 19 years. I was thinking it was maybe a multiple of six. <laughs> Give Wallman the heart says your discussion about fight night at the Joe got me thinking about the bleak state of hockey rivalries. Do you think the league would benefit from more intra-divisional games in the schedule to try and fuel rivalries? Imagine the storylines that could form over a season if teams were playing their divisional opponents six times per year. They've tried it. They've done that. They've formatted the playoffs to make sure this happens. It's not a scheduling issue. It's an era issue. I just, it sounds... Awful to say, and I'll have Evan follow up on this since it's his specialty. We will never, ever see that level of violence in hockey again. And it's it's hard to create rivalries to that magnitude without violence. And that sounds so, you know, barbaric, but that's just the reality of it. When there's not that level of hate attached to it, you just can't replicate it because even, you know, I think we undersell, despite the fact that it, it was going to a few years ago, how crazy the Pittsburgh-Washington rivalry was. It never got near Colorado-Detroit. No. Not even close. I will say I do think the league is going to get back to more intradivisional games. I think they're going to have a lot of tinkering left with the schedule to do, though. I think uh, 
we're going to see some different formats. I personally am, am not a fan of the bracketed version now. I like reseeding. I like one through eight mainly because of the reseeding. I know there's people rolling their eyes and groaning, and that's very fair. That's what you should do when I talk. But uh, letting those things kind of form naturally also give you rivalries that weren't necessarily prescribed. So it's not geographical. It's not in division. It just allows for for sport to kind of take over on its own. Well, also with the 1v8 in terms of building rivalries, the deeper you go in the playoffs, the more intense it gets. Inherently, was, it's were most... any of those Red Wings Avalanche series round one? Any? No. All the big series we remember were all conference finals. 96, 97, 02. Those were all conference finals. Uh, question here from Bruce Boudreaux's Nuclear Wierenski Shire Barbecue Sauce says, has Ned earned one more prove-it contract or is he likely gone? I think he's gone. I could see, and I'm talking a very, very minimal chance here. I could see them giving him a very cheap contract if they have nowhere else to go to in terms of backups and he's willing to do it. But I just think they're going to look elsewhere and I think they're going to look beyond Helberg too. And if you're Nadelkovich and they sent you to the AHL for a bulk of the season, are you even entertaining the thought of re-signing with that team? I'd say probably not. I imagine Nadelkovich's preference was to, at the deadline, be moved off of the Red Wings if that was possible. It's hard. We know the way goalie trades work and that they are sparing. Uh, And he didn't exactly inspire teams to want to pick up that contract, but... I don't think either party has much interest in continuing right now, but crazier things have happened. Uh, Mike Caviani says, why has Yanni Burgers been spending so much time on the fourth line? Uh, WTF Blashill. Oops, force of habit. Um, you know what? I will say Berggren has needed a little bit more kind of measured deployment as the season has worn on and he's gotten adjust- and he's had to kind of jump into the fire that is NHL pace and physicality. The physicality especially. Teams have started to play him really hard. You'll see like they they grind, they give him the elbow, they'll knock him down in a battle because they know they can, and he doesn't necessarily have that strength yet. And that that takes a toll on your body, and especially it's not something he's used to. The AHL is a sniff of it. The NHL is a different beast. So I, I think part of it's just this is what Berggren can manage right now, and I, I don't imagine that deployment will stick next season. Okay. Let's take uh, another one here from Udalali. Oh, this is a good one. Hypothetical blasphemy. Which original six team would get relocated to an expansion city? <sighs> oh, man. That is blasphemy, I will say. Toronto, Montreal would never go anywhere. No. New York would never go anywhere. So then you're down to Boston, Detroit, Chicago. None of them. I don't see any of them going. So I'm just going to go by history. And the two things we can credit Detroit and Boston fans with that we cannot credit the Chicago with fans with is when those teams are tragically bad. They stick th- with them. They still show up. Chicago, go look at before just before Kane and Taze were drafted. They were one of the worst attended teams in the league. That city gave up on them. So not that any of these are bad markets and should ever be relocated, but if if there's any excuse you could find, that's probably the one tiny branch you could latch onto. It is so far-fetched. And I know they, they put it out there as a hypothetical, so I'm not uh, 
uh, uh, criticizing the comment here, but it is one of the last things that would ever happen. Like if you have an original six franchise relocating something like alien invasion level weird would, would have to have happened or the NHL is near on collapse. Like these are their bread and butter franchises. There's a reason why the NHL gives them preference wherever possible in terms of market, whatever else it might be. Um, premier times, uh, outdoor games, things like that. They, there's people there, there's money there, there's history there. That's what the NHL will prioritize. Okay, we have a uh, Marco Casper NHL debut to cover and a potential splice in to record. So uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. We're going to be back with you on Wednesday. Again, folks, uh, if you are a ticket holder to Winged Wheel podcast day at the LCA, keep an eye out uh, for your email. And later this week, check out wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog for more information. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, uh, new and old. If you are new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. And for those returning uh, listeners, uh, your support means the world. Uh, if you want to support in a way that's not Patreon, you can give us a rating and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Spotify. It, it really does make a difference. And to all of our name level supporters on Patreon, thank you so much. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi Straight Up Missing, Nick Perks, Icon, we are Geelong, the greatest team of all. Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, 10 Years of Fanatics, Babe Landeskog, Carl Brutin and Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, Detroit Rob, DJ Denton, Fanatics Sucks, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Matt Penzine, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciate's About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number 1 Red Guys Fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, uh, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Ben Barron, Noted Phillips, Adina Whisperer, and Alex Nadelkovich Truther, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, CJ Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Forever and Always Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth, Frank Stanley, Georgia's Biggest Fan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hall, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Cider, O. Ophelia, Reed the Prophet of the Towering Chungus, Stephen, Tatarsas, and the Hodag. Thank you all so very much. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.